Hey, NFT Curious listeners, welcome back to our Edge of Asia series, where we're landing back in Singapore, where we stop by the DSOC Unleashed Web3 Social House and All That Matters to get you in on more Web3 content. Here's what to come. First, we'll dive into how Mass Network is reshaping Web2 experiences and solving many problems in this groundbreaking decentralized social network. Then, dive into learnings from first mover brands in Web3 where we're on stage with leaders from Dayaway, BBRC Studios, Rightstream, and Mighty Jacks, as we look back on valuable lessons decentralization has taught their teams working very closely with respected brands and sophisticated consumers. It was fantastic to get so much firsthand perspective from founders who've crossed the Web2, Web3 bridge as we wrap up our Edge of Asia series. Enjoy! Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. This special Edge of NFT Asia Roadshow Tour Edition is sponsored by our friends at Casper Association. They oversee the evolution of the Casper Network, a blockchain supporting innovative tech giants, as well as decentralized applications and platforms, and featuring both upgradable smart contracts and predictable gas fees. They also have a great new show called Casper Blockchain Podcast. You can check out on Spotify by vi- or by visiting casper.network and clicking on news. You have questions about blockchain? Like... How big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things. Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, depending when you flew to Singapore and what time zone you feel like you're in. Uh, I just got over here from Seoul, and I'm really excited about this conversation. It was excellently curated as a uh, curator myself of the podcast and Outer Edge. I must say, this is a really special group of folks that have been doing things uh, on the branding side for quite a long time and have a lot of experience. So we're just going to jump right in to the conversation and you know, the, the question I have for all you guys from looking at your websites and getting a sense of your brands is that you've approached how you're using Web3 and how front and center it is differently. And, and I think that contrast is a healthy conversation to have. So I'd love to sort of start with what do you guys think is the right balance in terms of Web3, um, in terms of putting that out there to the world? And how has your perspective on this particular decision shifted over the last six months? 
Who wants to start? <laughs> sure, I can go if you want. Um, the experience that we've had with uh, the whole Web3 experience, when we jumped into it, you know, it was a lot about tokenization, about crypto, etc. But where we have ended up is, it's really about building a real business. And the fundamentals of uh, business, they apply to Web3 just as much as to Web2. And I, I think the people that will be successful, the brands that will really lead the way will be the ones that really hone down on, uh, regardless of what the underlying technology is, that uh, there's got to be a product market fit, that it's got to achieve the end goal for the people that are going to be using your product. So to what extent are you marketing that your sort of entertainment platform is, is Web3? We started off with a heavy focus on, you know, we're all about Web3. Now it's re really about communicating to Web2 communities that this is something that they can leverage to actually succeed within the entertainment space and that we offer them that platform to do that. So uh, the end consumer, our customer does not even need to know that this is Web3 at the end of the day. Cool. Nelson, what about you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in the past six months or the past year, so much has changed in this you know, in an NFT space, right, in a Web3 space. And um, I think the great thing, the positive thing is, you know, the, the space is maturing. You know, um, we are, you know, as um, I mentioned, you know, it's all about sustainability and it's about being able to monetize, you know, uh, create a business of it, right? And the, real, the reason why I got into Web3 in the first place was I saw the p potential and the possibilities in, you know, um, in what I do, like in, in terms of art, in terms of culture, and combining with tech, right? And the, the possibilities and potential there is it's kind of endless, right? So I think uh, we're kind of very early in the space, building the foundations, and uh, um, we're kind of moving into the right direction, right? Going to the masses, right? Over the weekend, we had a toy convention that we showcased, a bit like Paji Penguins. Uh, um, we, we showcased our, our IPs, Ivy, Ivy Boys and Hidong in a pop toy show. Uh, if you guys know Pop Mart. Uh, and really got great response from the Web2 audience. And that's kind of like how we want to onboard the Web3 um, audience. Well, and, and Lawrence, you're working on a, a big activation right now, not too far from here. How have you sort of approached the, the marketing side of the blockchain, Web3, NFT components to what you all do? Yeah, so there's a few things. I think back in, uh, outside of the excavation, back in 2018, we have been producing figurines and we have been authenticating them on blockchain. I mean, we're working together with the team of, uh, of Nelson, uh, Pudgy Penguins as well. And blockchain is for us a way to make sure that, that these products do not get counterfeited. So that's a long while ago. We've done some NFT projects and not bad, but I'll leave it up to Nelson to do it, uh, to do it better than us. Um, now on our activation, we're working with a lot of IPs, uh, one of them Stranger Things. So we brought an experience to, to Singapore, the encounter, and essentially you buy an NFT ticket uh, for the experience. And our vision is that working with all these IPs, we, we want to offer experience that start before, during, and after the event. And I think one thing that Web3 has brought to also the Web2 space is the need to offer more than just a ticket, offer more than just a one-time off. So I think that's very valuable also for consumers that are outside of the Web3 web space. And yeah. And Marta, your, your focus is luxury membership. We'll get into that a little bit more. But from 
the perspective of your demographics that you're targeting, how has that sort of shaped your approach to sort of the Web3 membership experience? You can go to your website, which I encourage people to do. It's really cool. And it does sort of say to connect, but otherwise I wouldn't know that this is a Web3 membership club, right? It Was that intentional? Was that always how it was sort of done? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, when we launched our platform, it was a primarily almost 100% Web2 audience. Um, we were in business for two years before we even started to explore integrating blockchain into our platform. So I think what was important for us was to have the on-ramps compatible for both audiences. So our Web2 members can sign up using their credit card for a number of different tiers of membership. And then we, of course, created this, um, you know, process for the Web3 community to have a seamless user experience as well, which is connecting their wallet and using this NFT to unlock all of these token-gated privileges. But for us, what was really interesting was the decision to even start integrating blockchain was very organic. We went from being a public marketplace to a members-only model, and we wanted to start building our loyalty program, something obviously that every travel and hospitality membership in the world has. And when we were thinking about our partners giving us these very exclusive privileges that were for a select number of people, their first question was, well, how are you going to gate this? You, we can't give you a discount code. People will share it. We can't give private links. So what is the solution here? And from my understanding of blockchain at the time was we can token gate it. We could have this digital asset backing all of our memberships, sometimes without the member even realizing that would allow them to friction like redeem all of these benefits with minimal friction. So and that's, that's been the case for us. That's great. I, I want to give you credit for your boldness because you had a traditional Web2 business and you took a risk there in terms of sort of creating this, you know, token-gated experience where a lot of companies would be, you know, I guess intimidated by the, the risk of, of what if this doesn't work? And I am kind of curious how that onboarding process has been for Web 2 versus Web 3 clientele or potential clientele. Luxury really doesn't have any borders. Um, you know, there's people in all sort of geographies and sort of um, that enjoy luxury, right? So what has the onboarding experience been? Um, what's the recruiting experience been like? Is it more referral-based or is it more people find you online? Or are you doing some outbound marketing? And how is that sort of varied by those two audiences? Well, really, it's a mix of everything you just described, which I think for any new startup in this environment trying to service this very digitally savvy consumer, you have to be willing to integrate new technologies that build a more sustainable platform. So um, the integration of blockchain, like we're not claiming we're a Web3 company, but this was the best technology at our disposal to build the most um, user-friendly membership experience. Same thing with using AI to kind of increase our uh, product inventory. We can spin out hotel pages 500 at a time by just typing in the list of hotels that we want to be on the platform, and our um, back end will create a page for them. So again, just keeping in mind servicing the end customer. So if we wanted to appeal to both audiences, um, we had to kind of create that user experience that they expected. But I think um, for your question about how has it been referral versus outbound marketing, are we specifically trying to engage with Web3. I mean, again, that kind of all for us happened by accident. We were launching this this membership either way. We were going to use blockchain to power it either way. But when we started thinking about um, releasing the membership program, 
Web3 was very much in the background because we wanted to go to our existing database of 10,000 users who were all primarily Web2 and um, just say, look, it's going to be backed by this token and you won't have to keep track of discount codes or private links. And that all sounded really exciting. And then OpenSea got involved and they were really excited about um, the real world use case that Dayaway could prove out. So that's when hype came and really pitching to this Web3 audience and they got it right away. Very cool. Yeah, there's a member of my team that helped build out the American Express Black Card program, and he constantly says that Web3 addresses real gaps in the rewards sort of gamification loyalty space that were not accessible beforehand that you can do a lot more. So I appreciate your your decision there. And I think that's really interesting for other Web2 companies that are trying to sort of maximize engagement, right? Um, Nelson, you're also sort of intersecting with the luxury space um you know have you had the same experience that that um you know luxury and web3 go together well and um you know or do you think that web3 is appropriate for the broader market too i'm just curious why or why not um i think i'll bring out an example right let's say someone like a community like pudgy penguins right i would say considerably uh, in the web free space, in the NFT space at least, um, their floor price is considered premium, right? But uh, what Luca is doing is they are building real world products in Web two, right? They are really um, you know going for obviously going for mass adoption, and I think that's kind of the right channel. Um, so I think in terms of where you know web free state, you know whether it's premium or or accessible, it really depends on um, uh, what the brand is trying to achieve. Um, so when, when Web3 came, you know, that's attracted such a wide audience, right? Whether you're, you know, you're in for the, for collecting art or you're, you're a trader. So I think Web3 offers a lot of a, a wide audience, but it's very important to, you know, be able to communicate the vision of what you are trying to do and attract the right audience into your community so that, you know, you, you don't get distracted by, you know, people who are open-ended and or people who are motivated for, by different things. And I, I think that's, uh, that's kind of as founders, uh, that's kind of what we really need to, to uh, communicate constantly and be, be very um, uh, uh, consistent with that message. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the Pudgy Penguins website, which I encourage everyone to do, you don't see the word Web3 or blockchain anywhere. Like every word is precisely around this brand that they've created. And uh, the Instagram page is also very funny. There's there was recently a comic about someone that sort of took a power nap and woke up and realized it was like 2 a.m. And I was like, that's me. So they're definitely trying to relate to the broad market. Um, and speaking of sort of that type of entertainment content, Riaz, like you're building something really fascinating in the entertainment space. And I think that's a space that sort of has evolved and become more global. Um, you know, I was just in Seoul, as I mentioned, and, you know, we all know about Parasite and, and how that sort of impacted the global entertainment market and sort of Netflix is giving me a lot of choices of foreign content now that, um, you know, we're not there a few years ago. How has sort of the globalization of entertainment um, sort of impacted the potential of using Web3 within the entertainment realm? So globalization of entertainment, uh, you know, I have a couple of businesses also in Web2 as well that what we have seen is uh, now Korean content travels worldwide. Um, very soon, language will not be a barrier because 
uh, with AI technology, dubbing, subtitling, all of that is going to become a breeze. So I think uh, content will travel even more than ever before, and the monetization opportunities increase exponentially. What we are doing in Web3 is really building a platform that empowers creators because the industry has been controlled by a handful of people for generations, literally. And creativity cannot be truly unleashed, and it's only a chosen few that actually get that opportunity to bring the ideas to life. And the opportunity that Web3 offers is literally the ability for anyone to say, I've got this amazing concept, and I can bring this to life through the community and give ownership to that community as well, so that everybody participates in the success of, of a film or TV project, and say the next Star Wars that's conceptualized, created, um, belongs to the people. Let's the, let's the dig a little deeper there. What are some of the mechanisms that can be used without sort of sending, you know, triggering the regulatory flags and whatnot, <laughs> um, you know, that you're able to sort of do with Web3? So uh, th there's definitely regulatory challenges, of course, uh, in uh, what is a security, what is not. Um, uh, there's different mechanisms by which we can reward people for ownership through staking, for example. And the way we envisage it is that uh, by NFTs, you'd have ownership of a particular piece of IP. And that, that would uh, give you staking rewards, and which are indirectly connected to uh, the benefits from the success of that a film or TV show. And plus also access as well, right? So behind-the-scenes access, meet-and-greets, and all kind of other rewards that you wouldn't get otherwise. And the, the, whole, the concept is to create this powerful ecosystem whereby the creators and the community participate equally in the success of creative projects. And we decentralize that whole process, which is so heavily in the hands of literally five studios today. Yeah, totally. I would draw some attention from the audience to... Um Fox's new project, Crapopolis, uh, the writer Dan Harmon, that's launching, I think, in September. If you own the chicken, you get special access to content, but your chicken also can lay eggs, and those eggs can be used to buy redeemable merchandise. Yeah. So um, you have a major studio based in Hollywood that's using blockchain in a, a revolutionary way that sounds like you're empowering others to, to do as well. That's really great. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's also hit on the merchandising side. Um, since we've covered collectibles, we covered ticketing, we covered luxury membership. I think merchandising is something that's inherently part of the conversation with all IP, right? And, and Lawrence, you're doing that in some really creative ways. You showed me um, one, one particular activation and how you're doing that. I'd love to sort of understand what Web3 sort of brings to the table in terms of activations, collectibles, and um, to what degree it's attracting Web3 uh, folks uh, or, or, or Web2 and, and sort of how you look at that moving forward? Yeah, so, so for us, it's not so much even about Web3 or, or Web2, to be fair. Uh, our event is clearly targeted on, uh, on, on the major audience. Our collectibles are targeted towards the collectors, and those collectors might not always be interested in the in the Web2, uh, sorry, the Web3 space, right? So, but merchandising, I mean, that's the core of what we do. Uh, I mean, this is the Merlion I'm wearing, and we made this especially for this event. So for us, again, to offer that experience that goes beyond that just one purchase moment and, and go to that event and being able to offer additional merchandise 
um, as you mentioned, right, additional experiences behind the behind the scenes, um, things that we're considering as well. We have a, a lengthy process before one of our uh, items comes to life. There's a lot of people involved within Mighty Jacks with the artists themselves, and to get that. Uh, to get the people involved with that process is something we're looking into as well. And I think definitely that's where Web3 can give you that early access, can give you that, that extra look into it. Cool. So this is a broader question for, for all of you. I'm, I'm curious, what have you learned your audiences like and what do they dislike? And how has that approach to engagement sort of been adjusted over, over time. Let's get into some nitty gritty of, of lessons learned here because these broader conversations are fun, but some things don't work. They don't stick. What hasn't stuck and sort of what have you done differently? I, I mean, I can, I can, I can, people don't always like Web3 <laughs> and our collectors don't always like Web3 and sometimes we think that, but by doing it in our case, right, we're, we're even narrowing down the audience even to a smaller amount. So then for us, it doesn't become commercially viable again, right? So we have to bring it a bit more to the, to the background. Yeah, uh, I can go next. Um, our holders like high floor price. Thing. That's a reality. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone that doesn't like high floor price in in in, in blockchain. But uh, um, but um, I think seriously, like because we've been in the space for two years, right? The holders that are still with us today, um, definitely they are. We we know what they are in for. When we started, um, my background is in fashion retail, right? I've been doing it for 18 years. And so when we got into the space, we thought of what value we can bring into Web3, which is leaning into our strengths in fashion, you know, brick and mortar and distribution channels in, in the form of apparels. So when we launched our first NFTs, it all came with jackets, right? Physical jackets. And our goal is to be able to create avatars. When I, when I came into the space, I didn't think of just web, um, you know, doing, you know, avatars or making it interoperable, right? I wanted it to be able to, to, you know, create garments that you can relate. You know, a lot of uh, NFTs were like, you know, animals or, 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 or things, right? But uh, there wasn't a relatable character that's, that's, uh, you, that you can personalize, right? So I think for us, it's really focusing on that. And after a year, people who are still coming to, who are still around, they want that. They are, they are asking, what are we releasing next? What's the next collection we are releasing? And so our brand promise uh, at the very start, you know, keeping it true to that, um, that's something our holders, you know, beyond the speculation, beyond the, you know, the floor price and trading, whoever that's still left, focus on that. That's our original, you know, mission. Well, you know, I just spoke with, with Frank DeGods and he said he learned that longer timelines that are more ambitious that may slip doesn't work as well for his audience as shorter sort of smaller bites at the apple have you guys felt do you feel the same way in terms of how you're communicating expectations to your audience yeah uh, typically what we find is the web3 community they, they want things like that you know they, and they're often less worried about what's actually happening with the business they're focused more on the token price and um, other elements. And I think what we have had to learn is to say, let's not worry about all, all of those things. We're going to build a real product and we'll communicate the real product uh, to our community, which is what we have been doing. But doing it in shorter gaps is very important because you, you can't be silent with these guys. 
they that they expect movement all the time yeah well i could just add on something from our experience um i think for us the the hype was really a challenge um like i mentioned earlier we had thought to launch uh, our first nft with our initial Web2 community, not really needing them to know how much how it worked, but just how this would improve their user experience. And then when the hype came in and we at attracted some attention from the broader Web3 community, we learned that as well, that the long-term play was not a priority for them. And so when we launched our token, we did something that we thought was quite interesting is we offered a 90-day money back guarantee because I love that. yeah what was really important to us and for the you know to protect the integrity of our, our partners was that we didn't have people buying this as a speculative asset um we didn't want people that were looking to flip in a day and before the mint was live we must have said it a million times on twitter spaces like this is all about the utility if the long-term roadmap is not attractive to you and what we're building like you're going to be disappointed <laughs> the next day after you buy this NFT. So we did do that, and we've been really encouraged to see that um, our community of holders, that again, are a mix of this crypto-native audience and Web2 community that have never purchased an NFT before, don't know how it works, we hold it for them in a custodial wallet and link it to their account, but they still, they have their NFTs, they're using it, they're booking flights with it, they're booking hotel rooms, and that's why they'll keep it, and the floor uh, price will stay high. <laughs> have you considered um, adding perks the longer you hold your membership? Yeah, well, so we did, actually. For anyone that had held their um, token for 90 days, there were a number of new privileges that were released just to reward them. We had them in our back pocket the whole time, um, but we wanted to give them that, act, you know, that thank you for believing in the project. And, of course, the whole idea is over time, as Dayway grows into more markets, more partners, more privileges, they will benefit from all of that because their token represents a lifetime membership to our platform. Of course, the hope is on the back end that the value of that membership will rise over time, like a country club membership. And instead of selling it back to the club, you can sell it on these open marketplaces. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's it's this mix of surprise and delight with, with predictability, right? You can't just do one or the other. You kind of need to do both and sort of not to like have lobby in it, but, but essentially you need that predictability to some extent, but you also want that intrigue. Um, so it makes sense. So Web3 offers a lot of co-creation capabilities, right? Uh, we talk about it all the time on the show from like creating scripts together to designing collectibles together to creating perks in the membership. All of it is possible, but some people just want to like enjoy the benefits and other people want to co-create. And maybe they want to co-create, but they don't want to get into the nitty gritty, right? How have you all sort of leveraged the power of co-creation without sort of getting your audience to say, no more, no more co-creation, please let me just enjoy the perks? I think knowing what the brings value to the community and the holders is very important. Like what really matters to them, right? So, and, and co-creation together with not just the community, but also you know, with partners like Mighty Jacks, right? We co-created the, um, you know, physical vinyl uh, and we share the community, right? We expose each other's community, you know, with Mandela as well, you know, huge support from their event space, their membership, you know, and and with like Pudgy Penguins, for example, like we are two different IPs. They are penguins, we're adult, adult character. You know, there's a lot of space for collaborations and because our community wants that, right? They are in 
you know, they want the same things and being very aware of what they want is, is, is very important and not just throw it. There's a lot of distractions, right? As, as entrepreneurs, we always see opportunities and, you know, sometimes those are distractions. So we got to, it's the same as a business, right? Know what the customer wants. Any other thoughts? Well, co-creation is at the very heart of what we do, right? So uh, essentially, we're empowering uh, anyone to become a producer, uh, to take part in creative projects that they would never be able to do through traditional web, web two, um, mechanisms. So I think this is incredibly empower, empowering for Web3 audiences, but also Web2 audiences that uh, ultimately, if it, we make it a seamless process, then everybody can be part of that creative uh, uh, process. And I would argue you're also enabling creators to increase their uh, tentacles in terms of what they can do, right, as possible. Because we live in a world where, at least in the U.S., writers are quite concerned about their livelihood. However, with platforms like this, a writer could be more than just a writer. 100%. And now the writer can dictate, this is how much I'm going to get. They're not having to fight for it every single day. And they can set the terms. And uh, th this is great for them. This is great for the actors, great for the community, uh, great for the whole ecosystem. And I think this is where Web3 is really going to transform the industry. We're just at the very early onset of that. Very cool. Before we close out, I'd love to go through a round robin with each of you in terms of one more quick piece of advice summed up in a sentence or less that our audience can take away from them. Lauren? Yeah, for us, obviously, is don't focus too much, uh, in our case, right? And uh, don't focus too much on, on Web3 alone, focus on the product. And that's what I've been doing for all years that I've been, I've been working, it's focusing on product. And if it's Web2, Web3, to me, it doesn't matter too much. It's about your audience, know your audience, know what they want, and then create an awesome product. Yes. It's a long road ahead. And... You know, just as we saw with the internet, it took quite a while for the real businesses to emerge and uh, for it to become what it is today. I believe Web3 will do that and much, much more, but people need to be patient with it. Great. Nelson? Um, I think something that's very important but very hard to do, which is to gut your peace, because the space is very, can be very brutal. Um, and... Um, I think ultimately it's really to it's a great place to learn and grow and be open for collaborations um, and explore all possibilities. And Marta, um, I guess my advice to other startups out there is really start thinking about how you can use this technology to solve real operational friction in your business, provide real utility to your core community, and don't let hype distract. That's great. And where can folks go to learn more about you and what you're doing? Um, for us, you can go to mydayway.com. Oh. Uh, follow us on Twitter, BBRC Official, or myself, Mr. Gentle Ape. Check out rightstream.io. For us, it's mightyjacks.com. And just to plug a bit more and FOMO, 1st of October, we're stopping with the Stranger Things event. So go to Bugis, 30% discount. Please go by. Thanks. Great. And for me, you guys can go to edgeof.xyz edge and uh, edgeofnft.com is our podcast. Uh, I encourage you all to subscribe on 
Spotify or iTunes. Um, in addition to that, we have an event called OuterEdge.Live in LA, which is the intersection of culture and entertainment in Web3. Um, we also have a new show that just started, Edge of AI, um, which you can also find on all those different platforms and sort of expands the conversation around this convergence of technology. Everyone, thank you so much for your time. This has been really incredible. I learned a lot. And thank you all for showing up for the first session of the day. Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love and what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode. Hi, everyone. Josh Krieger, Richard Carthon, live in Singapore. It's day one of our action-packed two weeks in Asia over in Singapore. We got off a late flight in Seoul, and we're back at it again, caffeinated, thanks to Suji and the event that he's hosting here. Suji's the CEO and founder of Mass Network, and they're all about decentralized social. We're going to hear a little bit more about what they're up to, but first, why don't we kick it over to you just to give some background on yourself, and Mass Network for those that don't know what you guys are all about. Mass Network is like one of the first leading decentralized social network. We founded the company in 2017. So personally, I always loved the new frontier. I dropped off from college, like that's my senior year, to fund Mask. And that's also a time like people are debating about the ownership economy, about the problem of over-centralization for social network, data leakage, et cetera, et cetera. That leads me to, okay, we're gonna get into the social network to create the next generation one. Yeah. I love that because we have a, like a recency syndrome where we think this debate just happened like this year because it's hot again, right? <laughs> no, Everyone, it's been, it's been over almost 10 years now. Yeah, yeah. It's 10 years of realizing something's broken, we need to fix it. Yeah. And you guys have been doing that. Yeah. So, like, talk a little bit about the history of the growth of the network and, like, where you're at at this point. So, we found the project in 2017, which that year also, like, an ICO crazy year, right? But we didn't really choose to launch token to take the quick money. We started to build on top of every existing Web2 social network, including Twitter, Facebook. So, our idea is, like, there's so many users stuck in the existing ones. Simply by providing a new one doesn't solve the problem. You need to create a bridge to help them to get out the, the existing ones to extra their data into a new cyberspace. That's why we start Mask and we built it for many years. In 2021, we finally launched Token. We figured it's ready. And then we also start to help the other ecosystem project. We also start to invest to grant to do nonprofit. I believe like social network is huge. It's probably just not only one project. It's probably like a dozen of projects. So that's why we think we should work with each other. We provide financial funding, we provide engineering effort to anything we think is meaningful. So yeah, that's been six years, but still like, I think it's just start. Yeah, at the beginning, and it's really awesome the timing that you got into it, the first IC open, right? So you saw the first peak, then you saw the valley of 18 to 28, <laughs> and you saw the next peak, and now we're back into this time of growth, time yeah. to build. And you're doing a lot of grants right now, you're doing a lot of things to provide tools for people who are trying to be in this environment, but what do you think learning from 17 to that bull run back to where we are now, what were those core lessons that's helped to elevate masking and help your ecosystem survive this moment? Yeah, I mean, like, we have to remember in 2017, people are criticized about, like, Facebook, data leakage, and Twitter, 
censorship, but they've been around for 10 years. And you won't destroy, you won't replace something being there for 10 years, simply just say it's decentralized, it's not going to work. And then you have to prove that the decentralization is robust enough. You have to prove through the through many efforts, through events, through like many coincidences, you have to prove, okay, this is going to work, and there's benefit for the creators. And every piece of it needs like some luck. Every piece of it needs some patience. Even now we've been doing this thing for six years, I think it's still very early. But I'm quite like long term. I think like if you work hard enough and be patient enough, you're gonna see the solution of the puzzles. We can just put them together. I think when we started the thing, there's only Matstam as a decentralized alternative. There's no Blue Sky. Blue Sky initiated in the late 2019. Facebook never mentioned decentralized social back in the days. But now like there's Matstam as well. There's another five, three decentralized social on blockchain. There's Blue Sky, there's Noster. Jeff Darcy himself back into project and even Facebook came in saying we want to do thread, right? It's actually a fork of the Mastodon protocol. And then they're just going to fade. Like most of them just going to fade. Like for example, the Facebook one, the user is like declining significantly. So they probably just say, oh, as a big company, we going to kill the project. They're not really long-term enough. No one going to wait. I mean, no big company going to wait five years to solve the problem. But as a small team, we have strong commission. We understand the technology parts. We understand the financial parts. We need to put everything together. Now, when we see a big barrier, we just break it down. Say, oh, maybe we need like five other teams to work together. And they might need funding. Then we start a venture arm to provide funding. And then we encounter some problem in the academic field. Maybe this is like a new algorithm. No one have figured out. Even in academics, no one have done it. Then we start to do non-profit. We start to do donate to the college directly, donate to the engineers, individual developers. They start to solve problems. I think it's more like an ecosystem. One example I always use, like Tencent is a really Web2 giant, but they're really centralized. But their way of working is very interesting. Like half of their revenue is from the investment. It's from the ecosystem. But I think the meaningful way of creating a decentralized social network is not really say we build everything ourselves. It's by reaching out to everyone. It's providing whatever is needed for everyone and put it all together. That including like Web2, like Twitter, and including the most advanced decentralized technology. Put them together. That's going to be work. I love that. So what are some of the pioneering uses of Mass Network that you've seen so far that you're particularly excited about? Maybe there was a moment where like someone used your technology in a cool way and it gave you that fire back to the beginning of when you started Mass Network and, and you saw it out there and you're like, yes. Yeah, we started the thing in 2017. In 2018, we started to have the first open source idea. In 2019, we open source pretty much everything. I remember like then many OG from the Ethereum community, they approached, including Vitalik, you know, the founder of the Ethereum protocol. In 2020, that's the Lunar New Year. In 2020, February, that's a really bad time for every tech company, no matter stock or crypto. Everything's like dipping for the COVID and everyone's like freaking out. And that's also the time for the COVID. And also for the Lunar New Year, it's a big time. And I was quite surprised that we have a small campaign. Say, oh, maybe we can do the red pocket, do the cool lucky job, just some money lucky job on Twitter. Then one day I wake up, saw Vitalik sending money on top of Twitter using masks. You can even prove that say, he's at his wallet, his address, not like some sketchy link. That Meanwhile, everyone else is trying to like send Vitalik their project, like put it in his wallet, <laughs> just beg him to do something with it. But he's proactively reaching out 
out to you guys. That's I think like if the project is decentralized, it has the open oh. value and it's cool. Like cool people are gonna try it themselves. And that time, like crypto is like people think crypto is dying because like 2020 March is crazy, right? Like even Ethereum is only eighty dollars. But I think it's a good time to build. This is right, like right now. So yeah, that's a moment. I think oh yeah, people really like it. And I know Twitter and other big company, they weren't able to do it in many years. Like how can they really integrate a decentralized wallet? They're able to let you send money to random people you don't know. They weren't able to do it. That's a unique edge. And since then, we keep developing amazing things. And after 2021, we are more financially sustainable. We are lucky. We. We have a lot of treasury. We have a lot of friends willing to help us, and then we start to do the donation to the grant. So every year we provide around like one million to two million US dollar worth grant in different That's form, awesome. and it's not really a big amount of money. But again, like any big social network company, even like middle-sized one, if you ask them, can you guys do like few million dollar grant per year, and don't ask about our eye, they don't can do it. And it's like, oh, how can I tell my board member? It's just how it works, right? So we had advantage again, just because we truly believe that it's the community work. So it's just another moment. I think, oh yeah, it's gonna work. Yeah, it is, man. And kudos to y'all for putting in the work. Getting, I mean, you pray for something like that to happen, like where someone as big as Patara comes and uses it without you trying. It just happens because it's authentic and it works. It's decentralized. And from there, you keep building your community. You're doing your grants, and now you're able to do things like this at Token Twenty Forty Nine, putting on events, see your community come together and yeah. talk about things. What about this event and being here in this moment? What do you feel is different this year compared to potentially the past, and how do you feel about the current environment where things are headed? This year, significantly more builder come. Singapore is always like Singapore, Hong Kong, like New York City. Oh, that's always the hub of financial transactions. This year, obviously, because many reasons, people is still in the beer market, but more builder come. Like, oh, we don't mind the beer market. We want to build innovative stuff. Yeah, that's really I, I was good. here last year, and I didn't see this much building going on. <laughs> it was a lot of fintech folks, uh-huh. right, and exchanges, institutions folks, but there's builders all over this event and to kick off the week. Why Asia in particular? Like, why is Asia important to sort of your ecosystem? I think like there's two perspectives, right? Like from the crypto or free market perspective, like everyone's important. Everyone, as long as you have the capability to connect to the internet and do transactions, that's important. That's part of the, the big global free market. When we see the geopolitics getting more and more complex, the traditional free market is dying. You know, the non-crypto free market is actually dying. It's pretty much dead already. So that's why important. Everyone can join, can participate. From the social and entertainment perspective, just some quick numbers. Like 30 plus percent of the Twitter users actually from Japan alone. If you put like Korea, Southeast Asia, China, and Firewars, Chinese mainland users even banned by Firewars. So if you put the real user want to use something like Twitter. Together, without any geopolitics, without any barrier, it's more than half. It's a very easy mass, and eventually the population density of Asian countries can say, "Hey, this is like a huge hotspot. There's no reason we're gonna miss it." So yeah, that's the reason from the social and human perspective why we have a lot of effort in Asia as well. So you've talked about the importance of Asia.、Mm-hmm. What's going on with your sort of development in North America, in particular? What are some examples of applications being built in that region? 
Right now, I think in the beer market, a lot of like good team, they're just like asking for exit. They're asking for a way to still contribute their idea, but also like land safely, right? So we just met a lot of amazing team. And as we all know, the social network area, decentralized social network is pretty small, but we love to see how we can integrate them together, how we can help them together. So we start to do more MA, merchant acquisition, especially with like a very amazing European or American founders. And this year we did, I think, three acquisitions. One is in the US, like Rara, they're doing the social NFT curation protocol. Another two in Japan, there's several ongoing ones. I believe like there's a huge chance to do cross-border acquisition as well. And t- again, tell us a little bit more about Rara. It's R A R A. Yeah, R A R A. So yeah, basically just like how the Foursquare and Pinterest is working. You know, like wait, well, I want to come in my best restaurant. Like oh, that's like five-star restaurant. And that's not a really good one. You should, you probably want to comment on the NFT later on, like in five years. Like maybe your kids gonna say, "Hey, this is my best NFT," and that's really an ugly one. They're gonna interact. They're gonna have their own social graph. They have their own unique social capital. That's kind of underestimated in the past. I think eventually people are gonna treat the curation of those cyber items, digital items, as important as the, the physical ones. So that's the reason we think it's interesting and acquire them. There's many other opportunities I think we haven't even discovered. So, I mean, there's going to be more founders joining. So happy to help them uh, from any perspective. Cool. We'll check out Rara. Well, I learned a lot and have a lot of respect for what you're doing in this sort of decentralized social space. I think it's a very sort of important topic right now with what's going on with Meta and Twitter and all the new platforms. Where can folks go to learn more about Mask and get involved in your ecosystem? Yeah, if they're interested in the project, if they can search Mask.io and there's like GitHub link everywhere. Our tokens launch pretty much in every exchange, Coinbase, Binance. So yeah, I mean, if you're interested in that, not financial advice, but there's a lot of like articles out there. I think generally decentralized social network is underestimated. If you look at the current Web2 or internet giants, half of them are related with social network, right? Like Tencent, Facebook, even Twitter. Half of them are more financial transactions, more like data search. So right now, if you look into the crypto or the decentralized area, almost 80% are financial use case. And there's some gamification use case, but there's almost no social use case. So I think like that's pretty much underestimated. If you're a founder, my suggestion is like, yeah, jump in this area. If you're an investor, that's also quite a big opportunity here. Hey, thank you so much for hosting this event and thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy. 